everybody. I'm Colleen Anunu, Director of Coffee Supply Chain at Fairtrade USA and member of the SCA Board of Directors. You are listening to the RICO Podcast, a special episode of the SCA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from RICO Symposium. SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. Check out the show notes for links to our YouTube channel where you can find videos of these talks. This episode of the RICO podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy Cold Brew Systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brew concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. Okay, today we're very happy to present episode two of the Changing Tides session recorded at RICO Symposium this past April. The main focus of this session was to have those often difficult discussions around diversity and inclusion in our coffee communities. If you haven't listened to episode number 27, we strongly recommend going back to listen to it before you continue with this episode. On this episode of the RICO podcast, we are pleased to welcome Michelle Johnson, writer and social media influencer, well-known for her blog, The Chocolate Barista. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Hi, Colleen. (laughs) We're going to start by listening to your talk, Michelle, and then we'll come back to talk a little bit. Here is Michelle Johnson speaking at the Changing Tide session of RICO Symposium in April 2018. How's everyone doing? So uh, I work for a company called Barista Hustle, and we have, there are four pillars to our business. A lot of people aren't really sure how to, where to place us, but there are four things that we do majorly. We are a coffee subscription service. We sell affordable tools to baristas. Um, We have our community, and we also have online education and free learning resources. And my job as the marketing and community director is mostly focused on that community aspect as well as marketing. Uh, Early on in my career, I noticed that for me, community was kind of all of what coffee was about. I started out in DC and it was because of, you know, the latte art throwdowns and meeting other coffee professionals and engaging with them that I got super into coffee and then everything else came along with it. Because the epiphany I had was, people are at the core of this industry. We can talk all day about extraction and grind consistency and roast curves, but what about the people who are helping to promote those conversations? What are we doing for them? So at Barista Hustle, our North Star is to help the world make better coffee. And that informs those four pillars of everything that we do. That can be so many things. That umbrella is so massive. We can help people make, coffee, make better coffee, literally. Um, we can also help people make better coffee by focusing on people and having the conversations about what we need to do so that they can focus on coffee. So that community that we have at Barista Hustle, our Facebook group is the, is the main part of it. It's, it was started by Vatperger about a year and a half ago um, just to have friendly coffee chat. He wanted to gather coffee professionals and enthusiasts to talk about coffee. That, that group is 21,000 members from all over the world. Managing all of those people is quite a task. Um, we have tons of different conversations in there, and it's really become the place where everything happens online in coffee. If you want to know about anything, uh, we allow people to come into the group, 
and an intern, like what it is that they want to talk about. They have pending posts, we accept them, and we go on through uh, Facebook threads and, and talk and talk and talk all day. But something that we were noticing was that the group was very heavily, uh, the conversations were driven mostly by men, mostly by white men. And if we tried to talk about anything that centered a marginalized coffee professional, be it, I don't know, sexual harassment in the workplace, maybe talking about wage theft, those conversations would go off haywire. People weren't able to actually engage because they were getting derailed, especially if you were a woman or a woman of color, if you were non-binary, talking about the personal and very valid experiences of those coffee professionals, we weren't able to have those conversations. Things like ad hominem attacks, attacking people instead of their ideas, over men over-talking us and not even letting us you know, have the opportunity to talk about our experiences without thinking, oh no, that doesn't happen in my shop, so it's not a thing, which is not true. The trigger point, was this intersectionality panel that I helped plan with Tracy King last year. And we decided, you know, we have this group, it's 21,000 members, and we have all of these conversations. We kind of have a responsibility to also talk about what's happening to marginalized coffee people, because this is where everything is happening. We have the influence to kind of change the direction of where conversations are going overall. So we tried to talk about the intersectionality panel, and that thread was horrid. Uh, emotional label, like Colleen talked about early, what, earlier, was we were just on that thread trying so hard to get people to hear us, to listen, that these were things that we were going through as coffee professionals. And it was spending hours of trying to just continue to validate that, and we weren't able to. So Michael Cameron and I, who's my colleague, we decided we needed to do something about this. And with Matt's support, we were able to really dive in and find out how can we change this? How can we change this very clearly toxic culture within our group to try and make it more positive? Because we have the responsibility and the, to, and the ability to have productive conversations overall. Like, this is what we're here for. So we decided to do a Google survey. It's not the most scientific thing, um, we're not certified researchers, but you know, it, it was very DIY and we were able to do it. <clears throat> so we had three questions on this survey. What can we do to make our Facebook group more welcoming for people to engage in? What would you like to talk about? And what are the, what are the things that are really keeping you from engaging in the first place? But, before we needed those answers, I needed to ask a demographic question. I needed to know who was saying what, because the whole point wasn't really to focus on what everyone in the group was saying, or even what men in the group were saying. I wanted to specifically center the marginalized people and what they wanted, because the idea was if we center them and then fix the problems so that they can engage, then we all can engage. So the demographic question was, are you a cisgender man? Are you not a cisgender man? And do you prefer not to say? And later on, I will show some graphs, and I do not include the prefer not to say, but I do focus on the cisgender men and non-cisgender men. And the reason why I split it up like that were for a few reasons. One, it was the most inclusive gender, um, gender question we could ask. They're cisgender men, and if you're not a cisgender man, then you're probably a woman you're probably a non-binary person or a transgender man. Um, I also didn't include the degree of race, just for simplicity for us trying to code, code it, but I am aware that that would be a whole other set of data, and that would be really interesting for us to see as well. So for the first question, what keeps you from participating in the group? These were long-form answers that we gathered um, in the first survey, and the things that people said that they had a general fear uh, they didn't want to look stupid engaging in the group. We do have a lot of, you know, high up coffee professionals in there, so I understood that. And that the bigotry and prejudice was a thing as well, which was very apparent when we tried to have those conversations that, cent that centered marginalized people. What can we do to foster a more welcoming and safe environment? A lot of people said, cut out the cis men BS. 
I understand. That was the mansplaining. That was the ad hominem attacks. That was the derailing conversations and, and un devaluating our experiences. Um, which also leads to, we needed to be better at moderation, and that was very real. If you let any thread go long enough, someone will bring up Nazis, and people did. <laughs> so, the first thing we did after this was, okay, we need to set some ground rules. So we, cr we created the Barista Hustle Universe Community Guidelines, and they were a very clear-cut set of rules for how to engage within our online spaces. If you're going to be in here, you're going to learn how to discourse with people properly. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be in the group. We'll remind you, but otherwise, we will kick you out. And I was very trigger-happy with that ban button. <laughs> the second thing we did was, upon entering the group, uh, you have to be approved, so we asked three questions. One, will you go read the guidelines? Two, will you be respectful when you're engaging in conversations in the group? And three, what's your favorite coffee? Because we always like to hear those things. The last thing was more active and intentional moderation. So moderation, not just in terms of if people violated the rules, we would remind them and kick them out, and you know, if, if the conversation started to derail, we would put it back on track, but also being intentional about who was engaging and paying attention to them. So anytime a marginalized person commented on a thread, we would try and like their comment. We would try and reply to what they said and just to show that we valued their contribution. When they would send posts in to talk about things, we would try and prove more of their posts than we would men. Because this was valuable to us. This was a flag that we were trying to raise and wave that we cared about what you had to say. And we wanted to make that very clear. So, we did a second survey, because we needed to know, all right, we did these three things, did it work? It feels like it worked, we weren't, but we wanted to make sure. So we did a second survey in March, and these are some of the results. What keeps you from participating in the Facebook group? For the uh, people who said that they were scared and they didn't want to look stupid, non-cisgender men feel more confident and better about it now than they did before. And oddly enough, men are now more afraid to participate, which, you know what, I'm not mad. <laughs> That's fine by me. I would love to hear other people contribute. Uh, when it comes to bigotry and prejudice, in total, everyone said that there's less of that going on. Um, but more specifically, non-cisgender men, it, we nearly slashed that in half. And that's really amazing. For what we can do to make our community more welcoming and safe, cutting out the cis men BS, uh, we're doing a little bit better. It's not much, only an 8% change, but it's something that we're continuing to work on. Same with better moderation, 17.4% uh, change, and a decrease in between the, the two surveys. And that's something now that we can focus on since the, the group overall is starting to feel better and that we're starting to have more productive conversations. But that last one, all good. So we didn't ask people if things were all good. These were, these were long-form answers. So in the first survey, we had people say, like, no, you don't need to change anything. Things are fine. Uh, but in the second survey, we had way more people across the board that say things that were fine especially non-cisgender men, which is what I'm only focusing on here. And if things, if they feel like things are better, then we're winning. We asked another question uh, in this last survey as well. It said, in terms of moderation, group member interactions and general group discussion, has the overall quality of the group been better, the same, or worse in the past six months? So the people that said that things were worse, the numbers were so small, we didn't really need to include them. So, most, for in total, a lot of people said that things were the same. And that's still okay, because at least we didn't take a step backwards. Um, also, overall, they did say that things were better. Just a little bit, though. Same with cisgender men. Most said that things were the same, which, regardless, they were going to be fine either way. Uh, but a good amount did say that things were better. But for non-cisgender men, most of them said things were better now, and that's all the focus that we're putting on. Because what constitutes as a win for us is if marginalized people within our group 
feel like they can contribute, that they can be a part, that what we have to offer is for them, then that is, then we did our jobs, but we're also not done. So it seems like, you know, we did it. Like, yeah, we, we're a diverse community now. <laughs> um, like I said, there's still work to be done, but some of the conversations we've been able to have since have been truly amazing. We were able to have a threaded discussion about moms in the workplace and breastfeeding and how to you know, juggle having a newborn baby and still working as a coffee professional. We've been able to talk about tipping and, and wage theft and sexual harassment and you know, how to better um, center queer people in your coffee workspaces. So for you, I need you to remember that the people that are in our community, the 21,000 that are from all over the world, are, they are your people as well. They work for you. They're coming into our space to talk about what's going on in their own personal spaces. And that's not to say that you need to go into our group and find out if your employee is talking about you. Uh, but it is to say, you know, it's a good place to come in and find out the conversations that we're having and where the industry is going, because that's where that discussion is happening. Also, I, I don't need to, to reiterate this, but it, it's been proven time and time again, and you can Google it yourself. Like, diversity is better for business. For us at Barista Hustle, I've realized that you know, we offer tools and we offer education and we have all these things we sell, but if we put the, as much effort on that as we do on our people, they're going to want to be a part of, they're going to want to spend their money on us because they're going to feel like it's for them, that they can be a part of that too. Because the industry depends on it. We have so many great minds um, within the entire industry, and it is, it's really, we're doing ourselves a disservice only focusing on a small group of them to help carry the entire industry forward. Because at the end of the day, this is really a conversation about equity. So all of us who are in here, we have power to influence. And we have the ability to put in that extra work for those who are already starting out further behind than everyone else to get them forward. So are you willing to make this a value in your business? And if you are, you need to prove it. It's, People want to see it. It's, it's that time. We are living in that time where this is very important. And if you're going to do that, you need to set some rules. What, and for most coffee places, you know, it looks like, like HR policies and whatnot. So what happens if those rules are violated? And are you willing to stick to those? This road that we're on is going to be long. And like I said, we're not done with all the work that we've started at Barista Hustle. And it, the bus that towards, you know, true diversity and true inclusion, we're all piling on it. And I saw a tweet earlier before I got on stage about uh, a group of people who left the room during this discussion, and they're just going to be left behind. Every, we're all waiting to get on this bus and to get this moving because my coffee professionalism matters. And so does Becky's, and so does my friend RJ's, and like we're all marginalized people who want to be able to just talk about coffee, but we're having to spend our time trying to validate our experiences, and, and it's, it's keeping us from getting there. <clears throat> so is it actually possible to help the world make better coffee, the whole world? I'd like to find out. Thank you. That was Michelle Johnson speaking at the Changing Tide session of RICO Symposium this past April. So, Michelle, let's talk. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, great. So I wanted to start specifically about um, some of the tactics that you explained in your presentation that you applied to Barista Hustle, um, you know, specifically around changing the, that toxic culture and I'm trying to be more welcoming and addressing barriers and asking for opinions. Uh, I'm just wondering if you think that's like maybe some of the tactics could be applied to other contexts, you know, specifically in a cafe or a coffee company, um, or, you know, how would you 
How would you recommend to anyone that's in a leadership or management position in other contexts to to sort of address some of this toxic culture that you've identified and you know worked to solve? Yeah. Um, I mean, since this was, you know, Barista Hustle was in a, an online forum, a lot of this would be a lot more uh, interactive and verbal in person. Um, so I think about just how, like, past jobs I've had where I've had um, really great managers who would, you know, defer to me or other employees like me that weren't men, for instance, um, when it came to trying to solve problems, just not not only in the sense of like changing our culture, but just like general coffee problems, um, doing things like that. You know, I think about training programs and cuppings where a lot of them are often led by men and they'll also, you know, only talk to the other men in the room, um, and find out their opinions, but like being extra encouraging to everyone else that's there, um, and trying to get them to participate and, to you know, make them feel like, you know, what you taste and what you think on how to do this one thing is right too. Um, those are things that, that come to mind when it, and how to apply that in like a more in-person um, sense of like how to change the culture thing. Um, yes, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just even thinking about that, I mean, there's so many people have some sort of like anxiety or feel um, uncomfortable with even trying to address things in person. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like when you're, when you're online or you're a moderator, you're super empowered and you're, you're, you don't have to have a face-to-face conversation with an individual about the way that they're acting. You know, you can, Mm -hmm. as you said, you're pretty trigger happy with the, with the button to cancel (laughs) their membership on the spot. Right. I wish I could block people in, in just like IRL too. <laughs> yeah, but like, how would you how would you suggest or like, do you have any like particular experiences of addressing some of these issues in person, or where you've specifically had to call out someone for their behavior, and and how 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 do you do that? You know, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Colleen. I'm still, that's something that I'm still trying to figure out because a lot of the experiences I've had so far haven't been the most positive in trying to hold someone accountable in person um, for, you know, putting me in a position where I wasn't empowered, where I couldn't, you know, continue to do my job. Um, And so... It's definitely still a learning experience for me and something that I'm still going through. Um, but what I what I have found is having a support system of other folks around me, especially like other people who have more privilege, privilege than me, who are able to vouch for me and and you know speak for me when I want them to speak for me, um, has been really helpful. So whether that's a manager or you know a peer or just like anyone who is able to kind of view the situation from the outside and be objective and say, you know what, I see that you are being, you know, treated unfairly or being wronged or being spoken over. Um, So I'm going to step in and and make sure that this gets, you know, resolved for your sake. Um, One specific example is in meetings a lot, I would get uh, talked over Um, or I would have, you know, things that I said repeated back to me from someone else. And then everyone would like be on that person be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And I'd be like, well, I just said that. And having someone else in the room who recognizes that, um, who would then speak up and be like, Hey, Michelle just said that, or Hey, Michelle's trying to get this point across. Like, can we all please be quiet like that? Just those little things have been, um, really helpful, but I'm still I'm still learning how to uh, hold people accountable in in person too. So, ask me in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deal. I will. Um, yeah, I mean, I I totally feel that. I uh, have the same response. I mean, sometimes it can be really challenging, um, but I think I I'm totally with you. The the way that others. Um, the other support or can be, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to use the A word, um, allies, but you know, that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of, I think the, 
the real sort of purpose of um, of supporting individuals that that may not you know that that don't necessarily need to stick up for themselves all the time. I mean, there's so much to say about about individuals that are. I don't know that are that are doing some really important work on behalf of their friends and colleagues and and fellow human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to sort of riff off that when you're talking about managers or leaders within a company that that have su- supported you in that way or that you've seen do it. Um, at one point in your talk, you invite leaders in the room at at Rico to to join Barista Hustle, to join the forum, and to see sort of the new leading conversations. And I wonder if you've had any response after that, uh, or you've seen some some people come into the room or or come into the forum and 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 learn new ways of of supporting or learn about the new conversations that are happening. If you have any uh, experience to share from that sort of invitation, because that's yeah uh, yeah. I mean, we had, right after Rico, we had a huge uptick in people who were joining the group, um, which was amazing. But uh, honestly, there had been a, a little bit of a, uh, a dip in participation um, after that as well. I mean, like a lot of the people who were joining the group were a bunch mm-hmm. of men. Um, and a lot of the, you know, questions that were continuing to come in were still kind of like along the same lines of this isn't really, you know, a conversation that's going to help push us any further. It's like, I don't know what TDS I should set for my coffee (laughs) type of thing, which is like, we like having those conversations too, and that's fine. Um, but I mean, if I can be completely transparent with you, it wasn't long after Rico that I had, I myself had left the group. Um, So I'm not sure what it's like now. Um, But I mean, there were like, regardless of all that, we still had some really good conversations in there. Um, And one of my favorite conversations was um, we had a whole thread uh, about working mothers and how do you, you know, navigate working in a coffee shop or owning a cafe and being pregnant or having a newborn and not, you know, being able to give yourself a lot of maternity leave um, and like what to do in those situations. And uh, so many, there were people just like, you know, baristas, managers, like Kim Elena was a part of that conversation. There were so many people that I also looked up to who had so much to say um, and it was just, it was a learning experience for me cause I'm not a mother yet, but to see that, you know, this was something that I had never even thought about a conversation that, you know, needed to happen. Um, but it was one of like the most engaging threads, uh, in that group. And I feel like the most eye opening for everyone as a whole, because it's like, if I didn't think that, you know, that was a conversation, um, to be had, then a ton of other people didn't think about that too. Um, and you know, I, I just like from that conversation, I've learned that, you know, community and the people that you work with will be extremely helpful for when you are a new mother working in coffee. Um, and it was just like super encouraging. And I was like, I hope more conversations like this continue to happen. Um, and I hope that this opens up to even past the online forum into, you know, some sort of support group, uh, in, in person for folks who, you know, are having babies and want to continue working in coffee. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, when you were, you mentioned that specific conversation on stage and I just thought, you know, exactly. I also am not a mother and I have worked in spaces where there are single mothers or new mothers working in the cafe and the the needs and uh, responsibilities of those individuals are so different. Um, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to, yeah, it was just hard to fathom that, that, uh, you know, I, I as well had never even thought about that. Um, but totally recognize how that happens. Right. And 
you know, how to be, right. how to be more <laughs> mindful in the future. Do you, do you remember anyone, you know, specifically on that thread, like having similar epiphan- epiphanies or anything, um, anything else worth noting from, I guess, the reaction from the general public or those that, that weren't sort of leading the, the actual discussion? Uh, yeah, I saw there were a couple of comments of people who were just like thinking, um, everyone who had participated for bringing up that topic and for thanking the person for asking the question. And I'd seen a couple of tweets here and there, um, but it was in general, just very well received. And like, that was probably one of the like highlights of my time moderating that Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that you said. I mean, it's so important, I guess, to give that positive reinforcement and just calling out a thank you or, or you said sometimes liking comments for, from people that, um, that mm-hmm. were sharing things or that were marginalized, you know, marginalized folks or underrepresented folks on the thread and, you know, why that positive reinforcement is so good and, and to be thankful and mindful and, and to give space to them. So that's, that's awesome. Totally. Um, are there any other conversations that happened after you changed the rules of engagement or what, I forget exactly what you call them, community guidelines. Oh, yeah, um, community guidelines. Community guidelines, yeah. Anything, any other, like, major conversations that, that come to mind when when thinking about how, how the group changed? Uh, we were able to have, um, well, there we had tried uh, multiple occasions to, you know, have the, the identity conversations and like they had over time had gone from like very bad and unproductive to pretty okay and pretty productive. (laughs) Um, and you know, for a lot of people, especially since the group was global and, um, a lot of the, you know, talking about race and gender and identity as a whole, um, some of it like would for sure go over people's heads and some of the things that they, how like people would respond, um, was not necessarily out of a place of malice, but just like, you know, cultural ignorance and not quite realizing that, you know, this, what we're talking about, isn't just something that's happening in the U S or happening in Australia. Um, it's just like, a it's, it's global. Um, But aside from, you know, still continuing to try to have those conversations and over time them getting better, um, we were also able to talk about mental health uh, for hospitality workers in general. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I remember one of the first times someone had submitted something about, you know, talking about mental health. um, And I think it was like tacked on to a conversation about wage wage inequality. it like that conversation did not go well at all, but we had tried it again a few months later and it was a a little bit more productive. Um, but yeah, it's just like those like very sensitive things that people, you know, they try to, I feel like with hospitality, those types of topics, we just sweep under the rug and we have, we just like, you know, button up our shirts and put the smile on our face and just try and do our jobs. Um, and a lot of people are able to function that way. But then, you know, and then shame folks who aren't able to function that way. Um, And that was, I guess, at the end of the day, like what I was trying to help change because, you know, the forum was, you know, 20,000 plus people in it um, and was a place that a lot of people came to to see what was going on in coffee as a whole. It was like one of the only like online gathering places for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for those who weren't in the industry to just like see what was going on. So I felt a responsibility to like, I need to be having these conversations in this space because I know that there are a ton of people looking at this and a lot of people learning from it. Um, so why, why wouldn't we like, it, it felt like a waste, you know, not to, try and have these tough conversations, um, on top of talking about TDS and robots and, you know, espresso machines and stuff like that. Like it's, it's all important. It's all, uh, tied together. And, you know, no matter how much you try and sweep like mental health and race and gender under the rug, it all still very much, uh, informs people's experiences as a coffee professional. 
Um, and I, I really hope that like overall that that came across and that, you know, I was able to still do some, some good work and, and create some positive like ripples, um, as a result. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I didn't realize that it was over 20,000 people. <laughs> yeah, it was a big group. <laughs> and, and, you know, potentially larger now. Mm-hmm. And robots, talking about robot rights at all? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we still got some time. <laughs> robot mental health, Michelle. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, so, I mean, that's amazing that you had not only this sort of business mentality around responsibility and, um, you know, that that was part of the new ethos of this this business basically is what it was i mean it's a it's a forum it's kind of like it's a little bit of a membership forum but it's still like you know the the brand the identity and and how you want to cultivate community um and that's also very much part of i guess you and and you know, not just Barista Hustle, but Michelle Johnson and Chocolate Barista and, you know, all the things that you believe in. And uh, I know mm-hmm. that you said that you're no longer with the group um, or with the company. And I'm just wondering kind of what what are you up to now? And, uh, and you know, what are you interested in working in? Uh, well, now I'm uh, scheming on the low. <laughs> I have a lot of plans uh, for 2019. I, I'm my big plans are to, you know, grow the chocolate barista, um, and, and make it, I want to make the chocolate barista into like a a parent company and have Mm -hmm. these like, you know, sub subsidiaries, uh, underneath it of like different, different things that I can, you know, pursue and do because I'm, I just like to do a lot. (laughs) I I'm always doing a lot. Um, so, you know, we have like black coffee, the podcast and, I'm planning on growing and evolving that. Um, I want to do, you know, catering events. I want to do consulting. I still want to continue doing marketing. Um, I'm doing some of these things just like as an independent and a freelancer right now. Um, I'm also writing for Sprudge and, you know, I do some non-coffee related work as well. Um, But yeah, I'm planning on just, you know, making the chocolate barista a force to be reckoned with. And I mean, in some ways I I think to myself that it kind of already is, but (laughs) I want to, I want to, you know, create an even more solid foundation for it. Um, and really just like have this entire, I want to create a network, um, and that just continues to lift up like black coffee professionals and other coffee professionals of color, uh, and just see, see where that goes. But yeah, right now I'm just, I'm still in Melbourne, um, you know, working quietly and, and having my head down. Uh, but then in 2019, it's going to be something else. <laughs> I'll be back in the U.S. and uh, yeah, I'm just going to hit the ground running. So stay tuned. Wow, that sounds awesome. I mean, I would love to hear, because I know that after SCA last year and after Rico was was it your first um, black coffee event? Yeah, like and right was, after, yeah. Right afterwards. Um, I kind of want to dig into the dynamics there, sort of that you experienced between the the sort of Rico uh, attendee base and then what you had cultivated for black coffee, which could you could you describe really quickly what black coffee is? Uh, Black Coffee is a live podcast show that focuses on the experiences of uh, black coffee professionals uh, and enthusiasts who we all just get together and have a conversation with each other about our experiences. And sometimes there's a a theme, sometimes it's just a general conversation, um, but it's very entertaining. It's funny, but it's also quite real and emotional um, and yeah, I I listen to uh, a lot of pop culture podcasts, and this was uh, a direct um, stem off of you know listening to those podcasts and seeing that they do live shows as well. So I wanted to find another creative medium to have these types of conversations besides just doing a a regular old panel discussion or something like that. 
regular old panel design. <laughs> so those are great too. <laughs> yeah, there's validity there. Um, yeah, I'd just love to hear kind of like your, that experience though, of that shift between, you know, something that's pretty formal, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of preparation. I mean, you said that you, we worked for months on, on the topic of the changing tides whole session. And then, you know, you worked really diligently with your team that at that point at Barista Hustle to, to dig into the data from, uh, from your surveys and to talk about your, you know, your specific experience and, and sort of project with Barista Hustle um, to, you know, to also, you know, to have that conversation and different audiences and, and how do you, um, I guess, how, how do you deal with those different dynamics or what have you learned from your experience after these sessions? Well, I remember, um, in the, in the same time that we were preparing for Rico is the same time that I was preparing for black coffee. Um, so doing all of this, like on top of each other was a lot. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's just sort of how I, I work these days anyway. Um, but yeah, it was a huge shift because like Rico was very, you know, like I had, you know, a button up shirt and heels on and, you know, I'm having these like very deep, uh, conversations that were just like, you know, based in data, intellectual, talking to people who were, you know, owners of companies, CEOs and things like that. And, and having to, you know, actually feeling a little bit of stress of having to justify why my talk was important to some of these people. Um, but then at the same time, having, a lot of those people come to me and say that, Hey, this was really important. I've never heard a talk like this. And especially with how you applied it to your business, I want to talk more. And then like flipping the switch and going to block coffee, which was, you know, more informal, um, still just as important of a conversation. It was just a more, um, uh, like informal creative medium where we could just kind of like be ourselves and not, like have to, you know, stand up straight for, for example. Um, and we were also drinking on stage too, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was just like the, the audiences were, were just like very, very, very different. Black coffee attracted more, um, just baristas and, and people just coming up off the street, which was great. Um, and, like while Rico is like people who are able to be in that room or, you know, people who are in the high to executive level positions and can afford to go to Rico and things like that. Um, and I like over time, I'd like to see if, if not, you know, in the audience, at least I'd like to see Rico have more speakers that are of the like entry level to mid level, um, people from those, like those parts, like baristas or trainers and managers. Cause I feel like they have a lot to, you know, say, and people who are in the executive level positions, I, you know, have a hard time feeling like they are completely in the know of what's going on in the lower realms of their own businesses, because, you know, they're not engaging or talking to them. Um, they, you know, I, I don't like, I like to give the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, they, they're interactive and they're engaging with their staff, but a lot of them are just sitting up in their office, wherever that is. Um, and just like, you know, making the decisions that come across their desks and then, you know, that's about, that's about it. Um, so to have like baristas and more producers, um, and folks who are actually like on the ground, coming to Rico and like at least speaking, uh, I think that would be very valuable. And just like the whole, uh, how that medium and form grows and evolves over time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this really got me thinking about, um, when we were working together on the whole concept for changing tides with Phyllis Johnson and, you know, and, uh, Matt Slater, and we were really trying to think of how can we make this, super dynamic and, um, and try and get as many 
perspectives and voices up on stage as possible to talk about these really uncomfortable issues of power dynamics and class issues and struggle and, you know, race issues and marginalized communities and microaggressions and, you know, all the, bu- all the buzzwords, but like all the, the real like lived experiences of people and why it's important for business. And, you know, we're trying to frame this constantly, you know, especially for the audience in the room of this is important for your business, but it's also, you know, the, the world is changing and, you know, the ship is sailing and, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's give you the information that you need in order to make life better for us, but also make like life better for yourself. Um, but thinking about all of the, the panelists and presenters that we were able to secure for, for the session in general, um, you know, we had a really hard time and didn't end up actually securing anyone talking from a perspective of diversity and inclusion from from a business, like from a large corporation. And, you know, we reached out to a number of, of people that we thought would be great to speak on the topic. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of risk that I feel like is perceived. Um, there's there, there just wasn't a, a real interest uh, for us to, you know, to, to be part of this conversation. And so it ended up being a real grassroots, like, you know, on the ground, as you just said, type of conversation around, um, around, you know, the reality of the situation. Um, and yeah, just, just you just saying all of that just got me thinking about how, how challenging, but how, you know, rewarding it could have been if we also, had someone from a corporate culture talking about culture change and shift and, you know, what they're seeing and how much budget you have to allocate to, to, to actually engaging um, appropriately on, on these topics. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, for a lot of those companies, yeah, I just, I kind of just can't help but think that, you know, when they have like a, director of diversity or they, you know, they flaunt these initiatives that they're doing for their companies um, and they're, you know, putting a lot of money towards it and, you know, telling the world about it. I just can't help but think that it's just, you know, for show. Mm -hmm. And then when it actually comes down to, you know, someone asking them that, can you please come and talk about this? Um, Especially with your, you know, your, um, position in the corporate world and things like that. Um, it, this would be really valuable for, you know, our people to listen to. They're just like, Oh, uh, well maybe not Mm -hmm. actually no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, it's kind of disappointing. And I'm still, you know, I'm still keeping my eyes out for, you know, a corporate company that is actually putting their money where their mouth is. Um, and, I like, I would love nothing more than to see that happen too. Um, for a big corporate company to be like, actually, this is like our number one value here and everything else just kind of falls into place from here. Mm-hmm. And not only do we have, you know, something to show for it, but we want to go out there and we want to talk about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be a game changer. Right. I mean, you know, it's interesting because if, if they're really doing a good job, it would just sort of be, you would think that it would just be sort of felt by the employees or, or just known about, you know, what, what kind of good supportive company it is. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't need to write a press release around, you know, <laughs> around tr- training thousands of employees on, on different tactics and, uh, you know, sensibility or sensitivities and all of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's something that I think it's it's worth it for us to continue to look forward to and and to try and to try and secure more um, more speakers to this topic. And um, you know, that it it does get me thinking about um, you know who 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 in the audience is going to listen or or how, like, what kind of delivery or what kind of person does it take to get these important concepts, these two real concepts across to individuals to get them to change the behavior. And um, Mm -hmm. you had mentioned in your talk at one point that some people left the room at the start of the Changing Tide session. And um, I don't remember somebody somebody maybe tweeted about it uh, during during the start of the session back back in Seattle. 
Um, but I just wonder, it, would it would it have been a different scenario if you did have someone else from Barista Hustle, like like Matt, who is a white man talking about you know the the issues that he's seen? I mean, do you do you want to speculate on that? Like how different the conversation would be received? And um, yeah, I guess let's just start there. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with speculating that. Um... It, it definitely <laughs> would have been received differently. Um, and that's just like, you know, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't need to be afraid of saying that out loud because that's just like, that's just what it is. That's like what it's like. That is, you know, that's bias. That's, you know, that is racism. That is sexism. That is, um, you know, the patriarchy. It's all of it. Um, and for one, it would have definitely surprised people had it been Matt um, on that stage giving that exact same talk, but more people for sure would have stayed to listen to it. Um, and, you know, to that, I'm just like, I don't have like much to say to that. I'm like, that's just, you know, it just bees like that. <laughs> but um, I hope that, I mean, one, I, I hope for more white men to, you know, step up and talk about this, but also to know when they should just pass the mic instead. Um, but two, I'm glad that I was the one to give this talk. And I hope that people over time realize that, you know what, I don't need a white man on stage telling me these things because the fact of the matter is, is that they actually don't have the range for this. And had it been Matt on that stage talk, like doing that talk, it would have been coming from, you know, me anyway. Um, and because it's just like, you know, like, like I said, they just don't have the range. Um, and it's like the more marginalized the person, the more that they're able to, you know, speak to these type of things and actually give you like a grander scope of what it's like. Um, and really the world just needs to learn how to listen to those people, uh, instead, but you know, it's, this is just the world we live in. <laughs> we're still getting there. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll we're going to continue to get there. I think that it's an ongoing process. Uh, for sure. Definite dynamic learning experiences. Well, Michelle, I wish we could talk all day, but when you come back to the United States, we probably can talk all day. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. That's it for our conversation with Michelle Johnson, who took part in the Changing Tide session at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check out our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk and a link to the speaker bios on the RICO website. This has been an SCA podcast brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. I'm Colleen Anunu. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in again next week for our third and final installment of the Changing Tide session of RICO Symposium 2018. Talk to you soon.